Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. And wait at the, at the table to finish. And I knew what it was going to be. And of course, when it was red, I mean, we were all devastated. And we just sat down and cried and, and held each other. And I remember my dad was really stoic. And he just, he took his watch and his wedding ring off because he always wore his wedding ring and handed them to the attorney. And they handcuffed him and took him away. And it was awful. But it's really, really hard to see someone take your dad away. And there's nothing you can do about it. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, who has a fun, fancy pair of socks on because it's not no socks day anymore. It's no. socks day. But you know what it is? What is it? What is it? It's happy nylon stockings day. Ooh. And you know what that means? That's just like a sock. <laughs> That's like thinner socks day. <laughs> it is just an extremely thin sheer sock. socks for your whole bo- lower half of your body. Yes, but of course I was going to bring up. You wanted to re- connect it to something as right. related to that. Yeah, the Boston Strangler who used mm. nylon stockings to strangle um, most, if not all, of his uh, thirteen victims. Albert DeSalvo was convicted of those cases. There is some controversy as to whether he was actually the. The Boston Strangler or not. He never confessed? He was killed in prison. He did, then he didn't. I don't know if he actually confessed or not. Yeah, he did. And he also made like, he was a weird guy. He actually made chokers. He did merch. He did his own merch. He, he actually did? Made, he made chokers in jail. No. Mm-hmm. And did he sell them? Yeah. To the outsiders? Yeah. Can you do well, that? I don't know. I don't know how he did it. Or maybe, sell maybe he sold them to somebody. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If we ever get merch, <laughs> maybe we can. Shut the fuck up. Oh. She's very busy. I God damn it, Bill. You make the merch. I'll, be, I'll make Billy the merch. Billy barely comes. I know. We didn't even know if Billy was going to make it Literally, he, we were like planning the day. We're like, oh, you bring this. This is the time. And he just doesn't respond. We're like, I hope he's coming. And then he's just like, I'm here. But he wasn't. Okay. That's enough of the banter. Let's get into our case, Alexas. 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 Not going on a shirt. <laughs> Today, we're going to examine a concept that everybody's familiar with, whether they know it or not. It's a phenomenon that has become so normalized to everybody. Um, a term we all know, this concept of trial by media. And generally when cases fall into this category, we have opinions on the defendant's guilt, despite the fact that each defendant has the right to a presumption of innocence. And we make opinions on these people's guilt based on very little information. And based on very skewed Information. information exactly you basically know nothing about the investigation about the jurisdiction handling the investigation about this person at all but based on how the media feeds you the information you make a determination on on almost nothing right 
And we see it all the time. We see it with Michael Jackson, OJ, Casey Anthony, and it's problematic for a lot of reasons. Media attention to a certain degree can make guilty people go free and innocent people be convicted. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's just very problematic. And we're going to just go over the implications of these trial by media situations using a specific case as our kind of case study. Right. Yes. Um, and Billy, why don't you explain how we got today's case? Okay. So today's case came to me. I'm in the... Uh the group, the Drinkerinos, which are murderinos from My Favorite Murder. Um, this woman wrote to me and, uh, and the Drinkerinos group. And the Drinkerinos group is all people that talk about drinking. And it's uh, it's actually a really, really great group of people, very supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. And I gave somebody uh, who had, had their first hangover. Uh, she's like, what do I do? And I Her sent in first my, my advice on how to cure a hangover. I said, greasy food, Excedrin, uh, Pedialyte or Gatorade. I said Gatorade. And... Um, I hope it worked. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, this <laughs> you're woman, right. This Re- woman, recalibrate where you're going with this. This story. woman. Th- th- so those are the drinkerinos. Okay. This woman contacted me within the drinkerino group and said, "Can you cover um, this case?" I felt it was perfect for our podcast here. So um, let's dive into it. Okay. Anyways, so Sarah is who reached out to us. And we are designing this episode with her experience in mind. It's going to be different than the others, but I think it'll be one of our most compelling because this case is stranger than fiction. So on the evening of September 21st, 2009 at 8 p.m., Orlando police dispatcher received a disturbing 911 call. Okay, what's going on there? Is that such a right? So police were dispatched immediately to the scene in question. They pulled up to a $5.2 million, seven-bedroom, nine-bathroom home in an Isleworth subdivision near Orlando, the same community where Tiger Woods, Shaquille O'Neal, and Arnold Palmer lived. This is like a really upper upscale Yeah, very rich neighborhood. Obviously a $5.2 million mansion. Mm -hmm. So when they get there, they discovered a millionaire named Bob Ward standing outside on his phone, and he was the one who had made that chilling 911 call. He advised the officers that his wife, Diane, was in their master bedroom and no one else was inside the house. So at the scene, the police are observing things. They see broken glass, red stains on the patio of the house, and they also notice red stains spattered on the back of Bob Ward's shirt. Upstairs, near the north wall of the master bedroom, laying on her right side, was the dead body of his wife, Diane Ward. And she had a pool of blood around her head. She had a visible bullet hole on her forehead. And there was a gun that was found in a drawer of a bedside table. Bob was very calm. He explained to the police what happened. He told them that he walked into his room to go to bed for the night and was shocked to find his wife, Diane, holding his 357 Magnum, and she was threatening to kill herself. And then he said the gun accidentally went off when he was struggling to get it away from her. So as Bob was being questioned, police believed when they listened back to the 911 call, and then they listened to 
his account of events. I mean, he said one thing when he was at the house and then he said another thing at the police station. They believed his story was changing. But if you listen to the 911 call, he says like, I shot my wife. But if he thinks he wrestled it out of their ha- her hand, like I understand you can't really take that as super literal necessarily. Well, or admittance of guilt. As as admittance of guilt, as a confession, right. as anything like right. that. Right, and so I think that's what they're doing in this case. Right. So the police didn't believe that Bob seemed upset enough about the death of his wife, and he seemed most concerned with doing damage control with his two daughters, Mallory and Sarah, and they were both away at college. And this was like the middle of the night. So when the police then asked about the stains on the back of his shirt, Bob asked, is it blood or is it wine? And I Mm. think that's interesting because you would, if it was wine, you know, I think that says innocence to me. I don't know. What do you, how do you interpret that? (sighs) Not knowing what it is, is kind of interesting. Yeah. But anyways, it's neither here nor there. He then asked to speak to his attorney and that the number was in his cell phone. They gave him his BlackBerry and he called Liz Green, but she's not a criminal attorney, but his bankruptcy attorney. The integrity of this investigation and Bob's subsequent trial was really just hijacked by the media. And we're going to give Bob's daughter, Sarah, the platform that she's needed for a really long time to share this experience from her perspective. Because I think what a lot of people don't realize, and Casey Anthony is a great example, these media firestorms don't just affect the defendant. Yeah. Think about what happened to Casey Anthony's parents. Oh, my God. And yeah. I believe Casey's Anthony's guilty, but her parents didn't necessarily deserve what they to have their lives. Up. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So guilty or not, I mean, other people get dragged through the mud and it's a it's a problematic kind of thing that occurs. My name is Sarah Wardrop. I am Bob Ward's youngest daughter. I really want to be able to tell my dad's story because I think for the past 10 years, it's not been told appropriately. The media has turned him into some kind of monster, has changed this story into something that it's not. And we've never really gotten our fair shot to tell our side with somebody who will actually listen and take the time to understand who we are. Instead, it's just... Bob Ward's kids and they're a mess and he has all this money and it's not that's not who we are as as people and it's certainly not who we are now for sure and it's not who we were then and my dad is an amazing person and I want to be able to tell our story. So we're giving Sarah the platform to address not only the media coverage, but also some of the circumstantial evidence that the prosecution was completely fixated on, that they built their case on, and that ended up convicting their father on the murder of her mother, Diane. And some defendants in cases that become this like crazy media firestorm are undeniably guilty, and some of them are innocent, but there is always damage that this kind of coverage can result in and you know we've seen it with oj and casey anthony but also it happens with innocent people when it totally sabotages people's ability to get any sort of fair trial oh yeah like you're never gonna find a juror that's like unbiased yeah and so imagine sarah's position in this too it's like this is her mother and father what an impossible thing so of course the first thing we asked her is how she heard about this she was asleep at college When this happened, her dad was terrified and upset over the idea of telling her. 
how did she find out and what did she think? On September 22nd, really early in the morning, I got a call from my sister. It was maybe 6.30. My sister and I were both on athletic teams in college. I was on a riding team at South Carolina and my sister was on the squash team at George Washington. And she had called me in a panic saying that I had to call, we call her auntie, um, Paula Seri. She is my mom's sister. So I called her and I was just told there's been an accident. I wasn't told any specifics. I was told to pack a bag and I had to get down to Jacksonville. And then they had a house in St. Mary's, Georgia, which is really in South Georgia. Honestly, we just bounced around phone calls for a while and I had no idea. Then it was, we can't find your parents. We don't know what's happening. I was not told what had happened. And I was told, don't look at the media, which was super weird because in my mind, it's just, my parents are missing, which is also super strange. The whole thing honestly was such a nightmare and made it so much worse than it needed to be. But finally, my aunt had told me that my mother had been shot, but didn't tell me she had passed. And I had not heard from my dad. I kept trying to call both my parents. And finally, my sister called me and I just asked her, well, is she dead? And my sister had to be the one that said, yes, she was dead. And at that point, I still had no clue what had happened. I didn't even know my dad was in custody until about 10 a.m. And that was when they had finally arrested him, I believe. They had just kept him in custody for a while. So it, they made such a huge deal about the way my dad presented it to us. And in his defense, he wanted to do it the right way to his kids. I mean, our world was about to be turned upside down completely, and he wanted us to be told in as gentle of a way as possible. And I am incredibly grateful for that. And so is my sister. I mean, it didn't work out that way, but the fact that he wanted it to was really important to both of us. One thing that the media really harped on was some of the things Bob said or didn't say during some of his questioning sessions, his interrogation sessions, what have you, after he was brought down to the police station. I'm very concerned about my wife and my children right now. Okay. I have two kids and in college, and okay. it's a nightmare, but we probably need to go ahead and get the lawyer in here. It was an accident, and, and I will tell you more about it later, but, you know, it was a very tragic accident. So this is the kind of case that newspapers and local media dream of it's 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 rich people and and murder Mm -hmm. if it is murder if it is or if it is an accident but still they're just like we're all about this that's why um, john benet is one of the biggest cases we've ever seen menendez Uh, oj yeah menendez when they're rich yeah it's it's something that um particularly it's there's there's a voyeuristic aspect that's a lot more interesting um for the media than if it's somebody that is even even just middle class yeah Mm -hmm. just like a normal person so um bob ward he's a wealthy commercial real estate developer and they had homes in multiple states they had two beautiful daughters sarah and mallory so this development where this occurred is the same one where the notorious tiger woods elon car crash slash golf club incident incident occurred yeah So the big four, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox News, and CNN, and the Orlando Sentinel, who did a series on the saga, Atlanta Constitution, 
uh, Florida TV stations, even the UK Mirror, as they want to do, they're going to jump all over this tragedy. And they did. So they were expecting this to be like the next JonBenet. And yeah. they, they pretty much made it so. Right. Yeah. You know? One report stated verbatim, quote, Ward was in an upbeat mood and very relaxed when detectives talked to him at the Orange County Sheriff's Office headquarters on the night his wife, Diane, was shot and killed. Even though Ward had blood on his shoes, he smiled. When he was told his wife had, pronounced, had been pronounced dead, he sighed. How irresponsible is this? And you never really, you know, and that's why we put that excerpt in there just to show like this is, that is not straightforward reporting. No. That is. That's like a nice fiction novel. Who's to say what a smile is? Like, you know, people smile when they're uncomfortable. People smile when they're like, oh, fuck my life. Like, yeah, I just think it's so, you know, and you don't look at this until you're presented with somebody's actual experience because you hear this reporting and people just believe it and then you're like oh what if you're like what a callous asshole yeah so it seems that the police had essentially arrested bob because they said the facts weren't lining up in his story like i said that his story had changed multiple times and but really the primary reason they believed he was guilty was due to how his behavior was calm collected and really not being concerned much with other than how his children react to the news. And that is odd to people. I mean, Mm -hmm. he didn't seem distraught over his wife other than it was a horrible accident and kind of mortified over it, but he it's, it is strange. Well, no. And and I had asked you this question earlier because I was listening to the nine one one call and I'm like, it was weird. But then again, you have to think about how everybody handles grief Nobody, and shock and yeah. loss so differently. I mean, think, nope. about, think about the biggest cases. Sorry, Jack. To, but think about the biggest cases that we've seen. Amanda Knox. Mm-hmm. She was doing cartwheels. She was being weird. She's being weird. Kissing it, yes. her boyfriend. Kissing yeah. her boyfriend. Um, she was innocent. Yeah. Uh, Damien Eccles. Uh, you know, basically just kind of like giving the finger to authorities and, and and being all kind of like metal and punk rock. Right. And he was innocent. It's just the, it, like, you don't know how you're going to react to this stuff. And those are, those are people that weren't ex- actually there. This guy was right there when it happened. My yeah. thing with this is that if he did it, don't you think he'd be trying to act sad right. to put on an act? Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, I'm I need to cover up what I've done. Or like I better when you pretend... call the police, like start start that's freaking thing, that's out. Yeah. I think he was just being authentic. Yeah. Like otherwise, if he was calculated, if he was a psychopath who killed his wife, he'd be like, gotta play the part, gotta be sad husband. Let's get a tear moving. But I feel like he's just like a, a type A brain where he's like, yeah. the children. I gotta get my affairs in order. Yeah. I gotta do this. Or like need to call it the police. It was just and putting like, yeah. off like his grief. I don't know, because I just think if he had done it. He would have been trying to act sad. Either way, again, it's like you just don't know how your brain is going to react to things that are very, very like overwhelming like that. For example, until it happens. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and this woman walked in on her children dead. Her husband killed them and she was on the phone with 911 and did not know her address and had lived there forever. Oh, yeah. And it's like when you're your in brain a, shuts off, when you're in a state of shock, you stop being aware of how you're being perceived. I think you're kind of yeah. just like, well, in your remote, you kind of, I mean, I'm assuming your emotions either get skewed or dwindled or whatever because it's a fight or flight kind of a thing with shock. Absolutely. When your body goes into just that. shut down. So I think, yeah, judging somebody on how they are dealing with an immediate um, 
like blow in like with a traumatic thing yeah is unfair so i heard the 911 call pretty soon after i found out that my dad had been arrested and keep in mind i had no idea what was happening honestly my dad was having issues with the company at the time i thought that someone had come in and shot my mom from my dad's competitors i did not think anything like this at the time so when i found out he was arrested and of course after everyone told me don't look at the news the first thing i went was look at the news and i think the first article that i saw was titled bob ward and then quoted i just shot my wife this was after i had spoken to my coach and um had left my dorm my team i was given a lot of xanax to calm down which wasn't great because i wasn't thinking straight by that point so this is the first time i've ever admitted that to anyone other than my family but when i saw that i thought he was guilty and i know my dad and i know how much he loved my mom to this day and loved her i mean she was and is his soulmate and i know he didn't do it but you're reading it in the news something you trust and it just says i just shot my wife and then talked about how he's guilty and a terrible person and there's pictures of him in handcuffs that's all i could think about and finally maybe 10 minutes later i was like wait a second this is completely insane there's no way he would do this they immediately jumped on that quote i just shot my wife and i don't blame them i mean that sounds guilty to me for sure but the phone call was actually about 10 minutes long and they didn't talk about how my dad had in a panic accidentally dialed 411 instead of 911 and he said there's been a horrible accident something's happened my wife's been shot i mean he went through everything before he said that finally they transferred him over to the 911 operators and still i mean this had been a few minutes at that time and still no one was coming he was not getting any answers as to when help would arrive and finally he just blurted out i just shot my wife next thing you know you can i mean sirens were in the driveway as soon as he said that everyone's like well oh shit we sorry they're like well oh my god we've got something serious here but i mean that had been minutes and you never ever know how you're going to react in any kind of situation so as soon as i heard the entire call take took a deep breath spoke to my family and there's no way he would ever do this he was in shock so as soon as she was shot obviously he knew she was dead because of that but he, there's no way you can survive something like that and he wasn't getting any kind of help and he's sitting there it happened in the master bedroom she's laying at the foot of their bed and it's the love of his life I mean, he just wanted help and no one was giving it to him so to the shock of everyone who knew the couple Bob was indicted for secondary murder. Everyone was horrified. The cops roped off the ward home to search for physical evidence. Okay, I was told about just how shady the search of the house was after my dad was released on bond. So when he was released on bond, I actually dropped out of school for that semester to spend time with him. The house that we lived in in Isleworth It was a big house. It used to be Arnold Palmer's house. It's in a really beautiful nice neighborhood in um Windermere, which is in Orlando. So when the cops heard, you know, well there's a murder in Isleworth, it was a big thing. So after they they take him, they put him in the cop car, they went through the house and they start finally analyzing the scene. Well, 
you know, a month or two later, we're going through all of our bills and stuff. When we were finally allowed back in the house, they had rented porn on our TV. And we have it time-stamped. And it was after my dad had already been in custody. So the only people that could have done it were crime techs or whoever was there. And they stole thousands of dollars in cash from my mom's purse. They stole thousands of dollars in jewelry. The house had an elevator in it, which they busted up. They took a hammer to our really nice grill outside, ruined that. I mean, they trashed this house and there was no reason for it. They also missed evidence. There was another wine glass that they did not find that I found later from that night because it matched the wine glass that they said my mom threw at my dad, which didn't happen. She tripped. It was under the bushes on next to the grill that they broke. I mean, they just went in that house, had a fun. I mean, they stole purses, jewelry, shoes, sunglasses, cash. They just trashed it. I don't care about the cash. I don't care about the house. I care about my mom's belongings. That's what's important to me. But the fact that they went in and are watching porn is insane. Honestly, I, I don't know why they would do it. I mean, I'm sure... As for the porn, I mean, who knows? (laughs) But that's probably they were there late at night, had nothing else to do. As for trashing the house, they claimed they were looking for drugs. My parents have never been involved in drugs, ever. I mean, there was no proof of that at all. Also, why would that cause you to take hammers to stuff? I don't get that. As for stealing things, I mean, they could get away with it. It was cash in my mom's purse. You know, we can't prove that the cash was there. We know it was there because she kept about $10,000 in cash. Who needs that much cash on them is, I don't understand it, but she did, and we all knew it. So, you know, there's no way for us to prove that. Um, And the jewelry, we do have, um, like, a list of everything that was insured. So we know that the jewelry was stolen, but we couldn't do anything about it because, I mean, the cops were after us. After the body was removed, we had a parrot, a cat, one cat, and four dogs. They would not allow us to remove the animals from the residence. We had a friend in Orlando, because Mallory and I hadn't gotten there yet, that was willing to take them all in, and they left them in the house. They wouldn't let us come get them. They did let our friend go in and feed them through the garage, but they wouldn't let us take them out of the house. And that just screams contamination to me. I mean, they're running all over the place, running through the crime scene. Wow. Right. And I think what's interesting and and so frustrating probably for Sarah and Mallory is that they're finding out about things like this. Their dad is in custody. They're college age kids. Like they have no one to advocate for this investigation and to help draw attention to this, these mishaps in this investigation. It's, I can't imagine what that, what this is like. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So the evidence that they did end up having was not that much. There was no trace of a gunshot residue on Bob's hands. Only Diane's prints were on the trigger. Bob's hand was on the barrel, which supported his story that he took the gun out of her hands after she fired the shot, and it was later placed on the nightstand, which is where it was found. And a lot of this evidence was circumstantial, and they were fixated on Bob's demeanor and what he said in that 911 call. So the police start to dig into the lives of Diane and Bob Ward, and they learn that he was being sued by an insurance company that accused him of taking more than $20 million dollars from the sale of lots and subdivisions he was building in Tennessee in 2007. Now, this insurance company, which had issued these bonds uh, for the subdivisions, said Ward was supposed to use the money to improve the subdivisions, but instead he used it to pay off debts and actually went on a spending spree, including using the money to buy that um, 8,800-square-foot mansion in Isleworth. But something caught their attention. Diane was slated to be deposed in those lawsuits three days after the incident occurred. So they immediately pinned on that and they said, wow, this could be motive for murder. Listen, they're searching for a motive. They were watching this guy. They saw the blood on him. 
They mm-hmm. saw what uh, his demeanor. They heard the 911 call. So they're going in saying, this guy did it. Yeah. So now they're trying to prove they're that trying he to did create it. A so case they're, they're it, yeah. looking for something. And where can we find, where can we find motive? And then they say, bingo. Well, it's like you can... But most you of the can time, make a case around anybody for anything. In the police's defense, it's usually the fucking husband. It, well, it usually is. is, and that's the thing. It's in you can't you can fault police for not having an open mind, but nine times out of ten, the odds are in their favor that it is the husband. True. Right. Well, when it's that obvious, yeah. Sure, but this seems obvious, and that's the problem with that. Like this seems like an obvious, like open and shut thing, but it's clearly much more convoluted than what the media has portrayed it to be. And that's really the point here. Then the police interviewed Bob Ward's brother-in-law, Glenn Sayre. And Glenn was married to Paula, who's Diane's sister. So Glenn told investigators that Bob had not received a paycheck in more than a year. His in-laws lived in one of his developments in Georgia and ran the homeowners association there. And he also told the investigators that Bob had repeatedly said that he should put a gun to his own head to get the family out of the financial difficulties that he created, but told investigators he didn't believe Bob or his wife Diane would ever do anything to hurt themselves. And Bob never said anything about wanting to hurt his wife or showed any aggression or anything like that towards his wife. And this is technically the wife's family. Yeah. So if anyone was going to throw him under the bus, it would be them. He also said that Ward, Bob Ward, Put up with things from his wife that Sarah would not have put up with. But he didn't really elaborate on what that meant. Yeah, so my dad wasn't, I mean, he was worried. He was concerned. It's scary. Things were changing, but it wasn't the end of the world. There was definitely more stress, but my mom lost it. I mean, she was, I wouldn't see her for weeks at a time. She fell into this like crazy pit of depression. She was drinking a ton and she always drank, but I mean, this was, I didn't want her coming to shows. I didn't want my friends around her. It was embarrassing. And I didn't realize she was on antidepressants. I knew she was on medication because I had to remind her, like, take your pills, but I didn't know what she was on. And I knew she would take meds and forget she took them and took them again or just take them again for fun. I, I don't know, but. I mean, I was 19, and in my world, I'm like, well, parents know best, so she's doing whatever is best for her. And she was devastated about this happening. I mean, and she came from nothing, too. So the fact that I think having money was a big thing for her. She was very, and my mom was a lovely woman. I'm grateful. I love her. I miss her. She was my best friend. But this hit her hard this was rough and she had developed this lifestyle around showing horses she would go and sit in her golf cart with a glass of wine and drink and wash and everyone wanted to hang out with diane i mean she was it was a fun lifestyle and i don't think she wanted to lose that so here's some info about how bob had made his millions he was the ceo of land resources and managed 250 employees and oversaw the development of 35 subdivisions and 19 resort style communities including the one near the cumberland island national seashore the thousand acre cumberland harbor marina complex was built after years of legal battles between developers and environmentalists in georgia and they moved from atlanta where they had met uh, years before in 2007 and Bob's company land resources relocated there. And the company eventually was forced into chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. And this actually plays into um, 
the motive for the media as well and how how you can paint this guy as a villain because yeah. let's remember when when this was going on what was going on at this time we're, we're seeing the financial downturn because of the housing crisis yeah and everybody was looking for a villain for this so two months later he switched that filing to a chapter seven which also led to all liquidation of all the company assets and then during that time of the filing he told the atlanta journal constitution that it was because of the real estate downturn. He said he wasn't making enough money on sales to complete promised projects. And, and uh, he was selling the assets, which, is, which were valued at $115.2 million, according to the bankruptcy records. And uh, the Atlanta Braves actually were, were one of the company's creditors. So you're seeing this as a potential perfect villain for the media. Mm-hmm. You're, we're, we're in this um, in this awful recession, one of the worst that we've seen in our lifetimes. And let's let's get That's one railroad. of these guys. Yeah. Let's yeah. get one of these guys. Exactly. And so throughout all of this, throughout the scrutiny he was facing and after his arrest, he maintained that his wife was trying to kill herself. He would not bend on that. He was he had conviction in in this story. And the reason cited for the depression and subsequent suicide attempt that Diane was experiencing was this financial instability that they were facing. And although they were still living in their $5.2 million home, they were bankrupt. They hadn't made a mortgage payment in almost a year. And their mortgage was $17,000 per month. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, like Billy said, made his, he made his riches near the height of this real estate boom and... It was, there was a massive, quick downturn. And some people take that kind of stuff harder than others. In the reporting I saw, which I'm not sure we can trust, but a lot of uh, Bob's supporters said he was just totally upbeat about it and that Diane was not taking it well, you know? Um, And, you know, everyone handles that shit differently. My dad worked really hard to take care of his family. My sister didn't really know much of this was happening because she was away at college. And to this day, she's like, I didn't even know any of this. But I remember one time, it was around Thanksgiving. My dad was living in Florida because the company had moved to Florida. My sister was at school, so it was just me and my mom. And it had been weeks since I had seen her. And I had taken that year off of school. and I didn't see her for weeks. And finally, I called my dad. I'm like, she needs to be a mom. I don't know what's going on, but I haven't seen her. And he didn't know she was gone. It was weird because she was still answering the phone for him. So he didn't know anything was up. And then we had a really hard time. And then by the summer, she kind of calmed down a little bit. She backed off her drinking red wine. Um, And then the week before she died, I saw her drinking red wine again. And when she drank red wine, she got nuts. Like, I mean, she would drink four bottles a night easy. It was crazy. And I just remember her drinking red wine at that horse show I saw her before she died. I'm like, that's not right. Like, she'd stop doing that. An autopsy was conducted on Diane, and they determined that there are two kinds of antidepressants and wine in her system, and these were drugs that you weren't supposed to be drinking on. The gunshot wound was essentially between her eyes on her forehead area. They opted to not conduct tests like taking samples from under her fingernails, but they said this decision was made because there didn't appear to be a struggle. But the crime scene 
analyst did say that there was a struggle on the patio of the home, so there there is a contradiction there. The medical examiner classified the death as a murder, thinking that would it, it would have been difficult for Diane Ward to have shot herself, citing that the gunshot um, was said to be fired from 18 inches away. What's another interesting thing, just on the heels of that, is that what I read a lot too was they were so fixated on the fact that women do not shoot themselves and they were like women don't shoot themselves and they definitely don't do it in the head or in the face right but they're not taking to into account his story where it's like maybe this was it yeah it was a struggle and the gun went off and you know of course she probably maybe it wasn't she wasn't pointing the gun to her forehead like on purpose at the time it was oh my god she killed herself it wasn't, oh, when it first happened, all I could think of was, well, this has been an accident. There's just, there's just been an accident. For some reason, she was playing with the gun. My mom did not like guns. She, she liked having them for my dad to have protection, but she didn't like to handle them. So I was like, well, that's weird, but, and then it started to kind of dawn on me. She was really angry at my dad. She was really angry. She blamed the company tanking on him and everything that was happening on him. And really nothing that bad was happening to us. We were going to be fine. But she was angry at him. And I remember seeing it. I remember, you know, that, like I said, that summer she had stopped drinking red wine. But I remember coming home one time and she slammed the door in his face, blew past me, got in the car and drove off. I mean, she had just been screaming at him. She was really angry. So, honestly, what I think happened is, well, what I know happened, this part, is she got drank way too much, took way too many pills, didn't know what she was doing, and I think she tried to kill my dad and then tried to kill herself and did. And my dad is... We all are. We've all handled guns, Mallory and I, our whole lives. And when you are, someone's facing you with a gun, you know, you grab the wrist and twist. So in my dad's mind, he probably thought that he did do something wrong at first. But he was, someone was holding a gun to his face. His DNA's not on the trigger, so he didn't pull the trigger. He didn't have gunshot residue on him. So it wasn't that right behind where the gunshot residue kind of blows back. So I'd, it would not have, it didn't surprise me at the time, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that this is something she could do. After the behavior I had seen that past year, her disappearing, her screaming, her meltdown, and then I found out how many pills she had taken. If she hadn't been shot in the face, she would have died that night regardless. We were told that, hands down, she would have died of an overdose. So Bob was in jail waiting for his bail hearing to approach. And his daughter Mallory and Diane's sister Paula visited him. And this particular jail, they record the calls and video visits. And it's kind of like they record both ways. It's really strange. But the media started pumping out and running probably a minute of this recorded visit. 
Print News described it like this. In a video released by the jail, the 61-year-old modeled his blue jail jumpsuit, danced and started to unbutton his shirt. He chatted about who would make a good character witness, whether he could buy anti-dandruff shampoo at the jail commissary, and even where the family should celebrate Thanksgiving. His daughter and sister-in-law giggled, flying the seriousness of the accusation against him. So they basically are describing this interaction. They're describing one minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hey, handsome. In this jailhouse meeting with his daughter and wife's sister, he can be seen laughing and dancing. In the hour and a half of video, the three joke around nearly the entire time. There's money in the account for you to get stuff. There's there's all sorts of goodies. Um, you can buy a bra, so I was thinking that you know you'd enjoy that, and um, and hemorrhoid cream. Um, believe me, I'm right here in the ribs. Such a change of, such a lifestyle change. Since Ward's arrest, he's had two visits from his sister-in-law and one of his daughters. I, you know, I feel like this thing's going to turn out the way it should turn out. Uh, you know, once the facts and the evidence are laid in, I'm really not worried about it. Our big story coverage of this continues with West 2's Amanda Ober. And Amanda, the behavior in these tapes just seems so out of place. Well, jail visit videos released earlier showed Bob Ward pretending to do a strip dance and his daughter dancing for him as well. What do we find on the latest video? More strange antics. My dad, well, my mom died on a Monday. My dad was arrested Tuesday morning. We finally were able to speak to him on Wednesday. By that weekend, I had left Orlando. I'm the kind of person when things go wrong, I need to just move. I need to be on the move. I need to go somewhere. My sister and my aunt went to visit. They were finally able to go visit my dad that weekend. Our attorneys always told us on the phone in visit, don't talk about your mom. You can't talk about it. You can't talk about the case. You can't talk about any of that. Try not to be sad, it's gonna make it worse for him. You know, he's already in a horrible situation. So try to be upbeat. That's what we were told. So my sister goes in and all they wanna do is cry. Everything's awful. And the visit is 45 minutes long. The visit is hard enough as it is. You know, you're, it's the first time they had seen him. And I can't say in person because it wasn't, but we're able to communicate and see each other visually since our lives were turned upside down and they were having a really hard time with it. They laughed for two minutes. The rest of the time they were crying. Well, as my aunt and my sister walked out of the jail, they were hounded with media and they watched the cops come out and hand CDs or DVDs to every reporter. They had already burned DVDs of the visit and handed them out by the time my aunt and my sister had left. So it was, of course, on the news that night. And of course, they ignored the 44 minutes, 43 minutes where they were crying. And they played the two minutes where they had two minutes to try to be a family and try to be normal. And they played that. My sister was devastated. I mean, she still has a hard time with it today. She got hounded by crazy people online, at school. I mean, they were calling her an awful person, saying that she's having some weird relationship with our dad. My aunt's devastated because her sister's gone, and now they're saying she's horrible. And so they spun it as 
Well, they all wanted Diane dead so that they could have all the money. It was nuts. It was completely made up nuts. They said we had $50 million worth of life insurance on her, so we all wanted her dead. We had no insurance on her, none. And even if we did, you can't put a price on your mother. So what I think is really crazy is that the media was kind of dragging Sarah's Aunt Paula, Diane's sister, into all of this too. And one of the detectives on the case, Detective Brian Cross, said that he spoke with Paula, Diane's sister, and that when he told Paula that her sister was dead and that Bob Ward would be charged with her death, Paula apparently said, just make it an accident. She said that Bob Ward had been under a lot of stress and Detective Cross explained that Diane did not die as a result of an accident. And according to the investigation report, Sarah, Paula Sarah, asked if Cross could make it an accident if he talked to Ward just one more time. And they ran this in in reporting and it's like she believes he's innocent. It's not like make it an accident, like corruption. Like wink, wink. She's like, it's an accident. And she was just pleading and I just hate how they manipulate this. And again, yeah. we're not experts. We don't know who's guilty or innocent. But next time you read an article, look at this verbiage and just really try to decide whether or not it's unbiased. Another thing that was really interesting is that... Well, and also this is all in print, correct? Print, yes. What This is all in print. So that's the thing. It's like the, the inflection of how she was saying it could have been a million different ways. But when you're reading something in print, you're only hearing it the way that you want to hear it. So exactly. But then they started to run information that was really just further trying to discredit Paula. And I'm not really sure where they were going with this because it's like, she's obviously not a suspect. So are you just trying to make the whole family look yeah, like villains. malicious? I don't, what do you think she's getting out of defending her brother-in-law? Right. So then they started to run how she had once worked for Bob's company and was making $500,000 a year, which just makes her look like she wants something. Which, what motive would she have for this? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But this is what they're doing. This is more information they're feeding into this narrative. Paula was employed by my dad, and she did make a ton of money. She worked her ass off. My aunt was the top sales rep for my dad down in Cumberland Island or Cumberland Harbor. I mean, she worked her ass off. She didn't make what she made because she worked for my dad. She made what she made because she worked hard. And I'm really proud of my aunt for that. Again, though, it, it goes along with their narrative of you have a lot of people, you have an economic downturn, and then you have rich people. And then here's this other rich person, part of this that was making $500,000 a They year. must be a bad guy, too. Yeah. But I just don't understand. It's like if you're trying to make it seem like Bob did it, what, they're just trying to discredit the sister? Well, the news... The news isn't necessarily trying to make it seem like Bob did it, but they're just... Yes, they're, they are. Well, but they're throwing... What they're, what they're doing is they're painting uh, uh, pictures. And the pictures that they're painting here are rich people. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just this one rich person. It's also, you know, her sister was, was getting money off of this guy. But to me, it's like the idea that the sister isn't angry at him. Just they believe him. They believe in him. Yeah. Like, you know, you wouldn't... 
unless you're just a deranged. Unless they're tr- unless they're trying to paint that the sister had something you know was something that. to do with it. Yeah. She was still married to her husband. I mean, that's crazy. That's yeah, yeah of course. They don't but, even know yeah. what pi- picture they're trying to paint. Yeah. they're just like grasping at straws. Well, they're, th- they're throwing they're throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall yeah, and, and hoping and hoping the readers will 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 figure out what sticks. Yeah. but that's often very right. dangerous to do. Totally. So Bob eventually did get to his bail hearing, and he was allowed he was allowed out on bail for a hundred grand. And, you know, if you look at the footage of his release, it's like Princess Diana, like being swarmed by paparazzi. It's Jeez. insane. He, um, he was required to wear an ankle monitor and stay within 300 feet of his home. But truly just watching them swarm this car. And then he was, he went to Seven Eleven to get like some drinks to take back to his house. Cause he's on house arrest. Cause somebody drove him and they were like following it on it, like with a helicopter. It's just like you guys nice. are just adding fuel to this this beast. But uh, all the while, while this is happening, the family is still supporting dad. Even even mom's family is supporting him. Right. Today, three weeks after his arrest, Ward posted his one hundred thousand dollar bond and walked out of the Orange County Jail into a throng of reporters. West News Amanda Ober joins us live. And Amanda, you spoke to Ward after he was fitted with a GPS monitor. Well, I tried to speak to Bob Ward, but he said absolutely nothing to reporters as we shouted questions at him. Now, tonight, he is back in his Isleworth mansion, but with one big difference. He has a monitoring bracelet slapped around his ankle. Sarah and her family and Diane's family and Bob's family would continue to support him throughout this entire process. And if you think things are crazy and you're looking kind of at reporting in general under a new, in a new light based on what you've heard, it only gets crazier at the trial phase. And it is that trial phase and the subsequent aftermath that we will be covering in part two. And just Sarah's going to be with us every step, sharing her experience and really sharing the injustice that at the very least, occurred due to the treatment of her dad, her mom's story, and her story by the media. And I found a thousand examples proving this point and proving what Sarah is saying that, you know, at the very least, this is not an equation for a fair trial. And the judicial process is is very affected by this kind of sensationalism in media coverage. And Sarah, you are like, I am, ever since I've been thinking about this, I've been like on the brink of tears. I think you're so strong and amazing. And no, we feel honored to be able to yeah. share your story because obviously nobody has been able to share it correctly. Yeah. And she and- did say Crime Watch Daily was the best, did the best job out of all of them. There you go. Get it, Billy. And this was when you were still there, Billy. Yes. So. Yes. And we talk to people. Um, Alexis talks to people all the time. And especially since we're talking about the media and we are part of the media. Yeah. And you, you don't see the devastation that is left. Yeah, you don't see. Yeah, you don't yeah. see the destruction. We're also not the media that's controlled by the higher ethers. Like we are. We're not the media that's controlled dude, by the government. And that is, I gotta say, and like that is the beauty of the new media in yeah. podcasting and mm. YouTube and things like that. In that, we're not incentivized by, by anything politics or higher yeah. ups or whatever. Like we say what we want, and it is an incredible platform, and that's why. I even said, I was like, I'll help you. I'll put you in touch with book people. Like, I will help you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I believe no, you. I mean, I can't imagine living so much of your life 
being like so absolutely fucked like not only did you experience the biggest tragedy in the world and lose both your parents but then to have everybody that you love vilified like that and have nobody hear your story out yeah. not only that just the confusion of being angry at your mom when you just lost her because you feel like your dad's being railroaded and it's not even your mom who wanted that to happen yeah. it's the police who did it yeah, right exactly. like the mom just was in pain and was suffering from depression and yeah. wanted her to end her life, which is horrible and tragic. But like, then you lose your dad and then you've got this anger at your mom when it's like, she was, she was in pain, you yeah. know? And just reconciling that Sarah is a st- incredibly inspiring person. Yeah. So- you too, Mallory. We didn't interview you, but you did not get a fair shake in the media. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for reaching out to Billy. And if anybody else is listening that has like a similar story or was connected to a story that you do not think was shown correctly in the media or was never told fully, we would love to share your story and be that platform for you to speak freely. So please reach out to us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek or our email. Are people still emailing us? Mm, not as much unless not actually really. you check it first and then I never well, see because you know what there it's the only one of my inboxes that gives me a notification. Maybe you should phone. delete it off your phone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Since you don't respond you read it you don't respond and then I never okay. know what oh, happened. That's interesting. Yeah. I just, I just want to get that like whatever. So anyways um, reach out to us we'd love to tell your story and uh, come to crime con use our code degree 19 for 10 percent off your badges come hang out with us say hi have some drinks and until next week keep your friends close but not that close